This is a World War I public engagement video podcast. I'm JC Niala, a master's student in creative writing at Kellogg College, University of Oxford. It is important that we all seize the opportunity to remember the war and the role of the people around the world who were affected by it. We should search out its lessons and above all, do everything in our power as individuals, voters, leaders and communities to avoid another. If we forget, we are more likely to repeat. Children ask the most awkward questions. I know because I was one of those children who asked her history teacher why World War I was called a world war when all the pictures in our textbooks and the stories we were being told featured British troops fighting German soldiers in trenches in France. Our teacher referred to A.J.P. Taylor as an authority on the subject. He wrote, First World War, an illustrated history which makes just two references to the war in Africa in his book. One on page 45, most of Germany's other colonies in Africa were easily overrun, and mandates had to be invented hastily in order to conceal the imperial greed, on page 263. As recently as 2013, when a poll was carried out by the British Council in the UK, only 21% of people thought there was any African involvement in World War I, yet a million people died in East Africa alone during World War I. This is a fact that gains little attention, as Professor Jürgen Zimmerer of Hamburg University asserts. It is just one war among many. Colonialism was so brutal that a number as large as one million does not attract the attention that it should or would get in a European context. As a child, before the days of Google and internet searches, no matter how much time I spent in the library at British boarding schools in Kenya and the UK, I regularly hit the same walls whereas Professor Zimmerer would describe the theater of World War I in Africa was treated as just a minor skirmish in which no one was hurt. It would be over 25 years before I would see a bookshelf like this, one in which every book is dedicated to some aspect of World War I on the African continent. This bookshelf belongs to James G. Wilson, author of The Guerrillas in Savo, an illustrated diary of a forgotten campaign in East Africa, 1914 to 1916. James Wilson is a Kenyan local historian whose parents emigrated to Kenya from the UK in 1946. And 35, 40 years ago, there was nothing available in the bookshops, anywhere, giving any detail of the East African campaign of the First World War. So it was really, all we were doing was digging around, looking for proof that there was activity in these various sites that we that we found, and we would find uh, expanded ammunition pieces, bits of tent pegs, bits of bottles, amazing amount of whiskey bottles, and uh, Rose's lime juice. There'd been many questions that I had about World War I in East Africa. At the time the war took place, Kenya did not exist. It formed part of the British Protectorate of East Africa, while what is now Tanzania across the border form part of German East Africa. These artificial borders drawn by colonial powers in Europe form a different reality to the one on the ground. 
I knew this intimately because my mother comes from an area that was divided by the Kenya-Uganda border. As a result, my mother has brothers from the same father and mother who are Ugandan while she's Kenyan. This understanding left me with particular questions about the war. If both the Germans and the British were using African soldiers in the conflict, then it's possible that in families like mine, whose lives were disrupted by the border, would have found themselves fighting each other. One of my uncles could have ended up fighting his brother, for example. I felt this would have been particularly painful as they would not have been fighting a war that they felt was theirs. It made me think about some of what I might have felt about the war in that situation. One possible answer that I had was that in the context of colonial oppression, it might have been the last straw and would have been a trigger for me to resist oppression. Another question I had about the war was more personal. I'm a writer who studied at Marlborough College in Wiltshire, the same boarding school that the World War I poet Siegfried Sassoon also went to many years before me. While reading his poetry at school, it made me think more deeply about different reactions that people fighting in World War I might have had to the war. I also began to wonder if there were any poets or writers in East Africa who wrote about their experiences. It was easy for me to imagine this because on both sides of my family, all my grandparents were literate. My mother's father was born in 1890 and as an Anglican canon, was an early advocate for the translation of the Bible into African languages. Books, letters, other forms of written communication were central to how many members of my family expressed themselves. Very quickly, I began to realize how difficult it is to get personal information about African soldiers who participated in the war. And yet, like 64% of people who were surveyed by the British Council about World War I, I believe that in commemorating the war, the focus should be on human suffering and the loss of life. The figures are staggering. Over two million people in Africa made huge sacrifices, including malnutrition, sickness, and death. This was mainly due to the logistics of the war. There were no tarmac roads. The railway was still in its infancy, so supplies had to be carried long distances across British East Africa. Porters were just as critical as soldiers. And as the war went on, not just men, but also women and children were forcibly put to work and received little or no pay and trapped in a situation where they were looked down on by the British troops and despised by the village people whose harvests were plundered to literally feed the war. The carrier corps, those were the porters for the East Africa, for the forces out yeah. Essential people, the war could not have progressed at all without the use of the porters because there was no roads, there was no infrastructure, there was no means of getting the equipment and the means to fight a war to the front. It all had to be carried on the porter's back, or basically on his head really. And I, in my book, I estimate that at least one quarter of the African population of British East Africa at that time that would be approximately one million people, had something to do with the military forces, either as porters, 
stretcher bearers, carriers, servants for the various officers, I, drivers when the vehicle started arriving, I, medical assistants and all this sort of thing, I, they were essential to the successful outcome of the war in the end. World War I, although not readily discussed in Kenya today, left its impact on local memory in other ways. Karyoko Market in the eastern part of Nairobi derived its name from the Carrier Corps, even though the main front was in Taita Taveta, which is over 300 kilometers away. This gives clues as to the laborious routes taken by African porters and later soldiers, many of whom were Luya people who came from Western Kenya which is over 700 kilometers away. It grew very rapidly once it was realized that the African soldier was able to fight uh, more efficiently than either the Indian soldiers or the European soldiers. They were able to fight in the bush and were able to live off the meager supplies that would get through, that would trickle through to them from these very extended supply lines originating in Mombasa. At the time, Taveta was a border post that marked the boundary between the two colonial forces, Germany and Britain, and was therefore where most of the actual combat took place. Taveta was a bustling town near a hill which now bears a name that also links back to the war, Salaita, Derived from slaughter was where 253 young British Empire soldiers were killed in a fierce battle. Whoever had control over the hill, strategically located between Mount Kilimanjaro and Voi, could see everything that was going on in the surrounding areas. Taveta is approximately 200 kilometers north of Mombasa on what is now the Kenyan coast, where I found my answer to the question about resistance to colonialism. Mekatilili Wamenza was a Giriyama woman from the Kenyan coast who in recent times has been commemorated as a national heroine. A statue of her was placed in 2010 in public gardens in Malindi on the Kenyan coast. The gardens were previously called Uhuru Gardens, which means freedom, and now have been named Mekatilili Gardens in her honor, deliberately linking her resistance to the struggle for independence that became a nationwide movement and which later became Kenya. What is clear is that between 1913 and 1915, she indeed led the Geriyama people in a sustained uprising against British colonial forces. Her reasons were complex. The Geriyama had a sophisticated socio-economic structure and she, like many Geriyama leaders, was keen that along with their culture, it should not be undermined. She was particularly concerned with the issue of labor. Mekatilili was completely opposed to the exploitation of young Giriyama men by the British. And it can be argued that the Giriyama's sustained resistance is part of the reason porters had to be brought in from different parts of East Africa and different ethnic groups much further inland. The British colonial push on African labor is not likely to have escalated in the same way were it not for the First World War. Unable to get the amount of labor and expertise needed from the relatively close Kenyan coast, 
the British looked throughout the empire to bring together the Carrier Corps, King African Rifles, and British Allied Forces. In East Africa, these were mainly people from South Sudan and Kenyan ethnic groups, including the Luya, the Nandi, and the Kamba. One question was leading to another. How did they communicate? Kenya as a country did not exist then, and so there would have been no common language like English and Kiswahili as there is today. To put it into context, Kamba is as different a language from Nandi as English is from Hungarian. So suddenly you had a group of people who would have never otherwise had occasion to meet, living, working, and fighting alongside each other. One South African laborer put it most clearly when he stated that for him, the most remarkable part of the war was to see different kinds of human races from all parts of the world. And then we've got languages. The Indian troops came from all over India. India at that time comprised of Pakistan and Bangladesh. And they all had their own uh, traditions and their own languages. And then you had the Europeans as well. You had West Africans joined in as well. Uh, you had uh, Africans of origin, Caribbean of African origin coming in as well to supplement the troops here, again with their own languages. Through trying to find out more about African soldiers, I was finally beginning to see that this was truly a global war. This was all an East African campaign. There was something like 300,000 troops, allied troops involved, from about 21 different countries. It's remarkable even now to think about so many different people from so many different places in the world engaged in something that they would have had such different meanings and feelings about. I found it quite overwhelming to imagine, and so I returned to look for the answer through the lens in which I most often process the world, poetry. It's here that my research dried up. I did not come across any poetry that was written by who would now be called Kenyan soldiers. And sadly, all the recordings made of oral history accounts from people in the Taitataveta region of Kenya were stolen before they were able to be stored in the Kenya National Archives. So I tried to imagine what a relative of mine might have written home about his experience. What thoughts would he have been having? One of my mother's older brothers, W.W.W. Awori, was one of the first African representatives of the Legislative Council that is equivalent to Parliament in Kenya today. That was in 1957, six years before Kenya got independence. So I know it was important to him and many other Africans that they had the right to represent themselves in their own country. It made me think that there might have been soldiers who would have began to see the war differently. I thought about what impact it would have had on them to meet other people who were also facing colonial oppression and what conversations they would have had about it. Could they have written this is not the end, but a beginning. We've come together to fight for another. But should we live, we will come together again to struggle for our own freedom. Thank you.